Good morning, Rock Bible Church. It's good to see you this morning, each and every one of you. Uh, I will confess I am a mess. I'm uh, I'm I'm a little like six days out. Cyrus is getting married, so um, I, I'm shipping him out. Right? Is that? I know they say I'm gaining a daughter, which is worth the trade. But I'm kind of looking forward to shipping him out. Uh, uh, joking, but uh, with all the plans and everything going on and whatnot, and we had to go down there this week and move some stuff, and it's just lots of stuff going on. So um, it's good to be here and reset. To reminder, Sunday morning is how we come back and sit in front of the Lord and say, yeah, he's good, and he's never going to let us down. You know all those things we just sang, right? He is good, he is good. Um, so we're going to do that this morning. We're finishing our mini-series. Well, it's not a, really a mini, it's a complete series. It's Haggai. It's only two chapters. This is chapter two. And uh, I had a lot of fun last week. I hope that you caught it either live or on the podcast um, but we're going to go ahead and finish this morning. Last week, we talked about the idea of rebuilding priorities. Haggai is a prophet in the time of King Darius, and, um, and he shows up on the scene and, and basically says, you know, it was umpteen years ago that you came back to rebuild the walls and start the process of rebuilding Jerusalem, and what are you doing? Everybody's sitting around. And then you're saying, now's not the time? No, now is the time. And this is him kind of jump-starting uh, and getting the Israelites, the, the Jews, to say, oh, yeah, maybe we are supposed to be his people. Maybe we are supposed to represent him. How, how about we actually pursue him? And it's interesting because in chapter 2, we're going to get into this idea that it's not really the rebuilding of the temple that's the problem. Um, it's not really the condition of the temple that's the problem. It's your pursuit of God. It's your relationship with the Lord. Those are just a sign of your relationship with the Lord. So let's rebuild the house. Why? To draw us back to God. And uh, there's kind of a cool double meaning in that. And we talked about it last week. The temple is where God dwells. Um, and we, we asked the question last night, what was the significance of the temple? And somebody blurted out, it's where God dwells. That's it. So we bid the temple. It's like we're inviting God back. And we know that he never leaves. He's ever present. Amen. Right, but it's more of an exercise for us. Kind of like prayer. Can he hear you? Does he know what you think? Does he know what you want? Absolutely. Well, and why do we pray? One, because we're commanded. Two, because it's a great exercise for us to re-enter into communication with him. Right? Uh, by the way, Ken. It's great to see you, Ken. He's back. Good to have you. I know you were being safe. Good to have you back. So make sure you say hi to Ken uh, when, you, when we dismiss later. Let's get into Haggai chapter 2. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll jump in verse 1. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for uh, your word. Thanks for the idea that we can have signs and indicators, markers, measurements, that kind of indicate to us how we're doing. And pray, Lord, as we see Haggai taking the temperature of Judah. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to figure out how do we take our own temperature? Where do we stand with you? May that be our ever-present pursuit. And so I, I pray, Lord, your blessing on this passage, how it's shared, how it's received, and then what we do with it, Lord. 
And we pray it would all honor you, your son, through the guidance of your spirit. Uh, and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month. Okay. We're month and a third and two thirds, three fourths. We're, you know, they started this on uh, six month, first day. So we're, we're seventh month, 21st day, a little over a month and a half into this. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, which, by the way, this is a little phrase that you see in the book of Haggai. Uh, two chapters, but four times we see this little phrase, meant to mean we're moving on to kind of a new subject, um, a, a, a message. So this is maybe third of the messages, like main points, you would say Haggai's given to these people. Uh, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. Now you know I practice that, right? Um, And say this, here's your two leaders, there's kind of government leader, spiritual leader, the two of them, and here's the message, verse three. Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory. What's the question? The question is really, who remembers? The project is rebuild the temple. And we're a month and three weeks into it or so, a month and 24 days into this, and he says, hey, um, I know we've just gotten started, but I need you to remember what it used to look like. And it's, it's a great um, question, like why would he ask that? Why would he ask that? Because uh, here's the reality. Uh, it was, it was uh, sixth month, first day, beginning of chapter one, where the word of the Lord comes to Haggai and he speaks to them. It's 24th day, I believe, of the first month when they actually start working. That's when the remnant and the people and they began working. So it's really only been a month of work. But a month of work has gone on. And now he's looking at what's being built and saying, you remember what the former temple look like? Why ask that? Why ask that? Any guesses? Like a fence in your house gets blown down by the wind, big storm, you start to put it back together and you tell the contractor, I want you to build it the way it used to look, right? I want the same kind of fence. Or I want it to be as good as the fence I had before. Uh, There's a little bit of damage control or quality control going on here. When we build this back, let's instead of building back average, let's make sure we build back to former glory, right? And you're going to see that come up here in a little bit. Um, uh, How do you see it now? What's it look like now? Now, probably what it looked like now was nothing. The prophecy was. Um, no two stones would be on top of each other. When the temple was destroyed, they literally made sure there wasn't a single stone standing on the foundation. It it was, um, it's kind of like that idea when you go and you conquer somebody and you kill all the women and all the children and you you kill all the animals, you burn everything down. Why? Did you need to do that? No, you could plunder all that stuff and be rich. Why do you do it? You're sending a message. And they send this message of, uh, no, you don't get a temple. You don't even get one rock on top of another. No two stones. And so when they come back, and they're only a, a month into it, they're probably gathering stones and making sure everything's set up for them to be able to have a good foundation. Now, I know this because it's going to come up in a few sentences, okay? 
He says, what's it look like now? There's a compare contrast going on. And what's he protecting him from? The doubt. The current condition. The what's going on now. Because you can look at that and you can get uh, frustrated, angry, depressed, um, lose hope, whatever. And he's trying to get them to see, yeah, I know it looks like nothing right now. But it's going to be awesome. Right? That's where we're going with this. Uh, how's it, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Right? So what does it look like? It's nothing. Yet now be strong. He's trying to encourage them. So I know what it looks like. But we also know what it has looked like. And here's the beginning of a little thread that we're going to come back to because um, we're going to tie this double meaning to, yeah, God's here now, and you need to remember what God's been like before. Right? And when we're in the now of what looks hopeless or frustrating or whatever, uh, if we think about the past and how great it was, what does it do to our future? Gives us hope. It's a good thing for you all that Doug's here this morning. When, when your present condition makes you question and you remember the glory of God in the past, it gives you hope that we could return to that and it gives you hope for your future. Right? That's why we read the old books. They tell us about who he is and what he has done. In a weird way, it should be telling us about our future. And if that's our future and that was the past, How's that help us redefine the present? That's what Haggai's doing right now. He's redefining the present. And it's kind of an overlying theme that we're going to see. Yeah, now be strong, right? He says now, not, in a, not later, not as your other guys were saying, we'll, we'll build the house later. No, now be strong, or Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. And then he gives this command work he tells them to do the work but then watch this for i am with you it's this weird um combo meal that we get in life right um who gets all the glory who forgives sins conquer death who controls all things right is present the beginning the end right he's like we call it sovereignty at the same time, God says work. It's totally illogical. If God's in control of things, he's going to get what he wants, no matter what, whenever, with who, as fast or as slow. If, if he's just going to be in control, he's going to get what he wants. Why the two orders? It's like a few good men, right? If you ordered that private Santiago was not to be touched, then why the transfer order, right? If you're going to be in control of all things, why tell us to work? It's futile, and you don't need it. Is it futile? Say yes. Does he need it? Say no. Then why? Why does he tell us to work? It's not for him, and it's not for efficiency. We don't function on efficiency, folks. That's the outside world. They measure all the wrong things. Pretty much every entity out there is in the money business. That's their entity, their, their commodity right? No matter what it is, it comes down to, are they making money? Let me ask you, this is, a, this is a big test, folks. This is a big test. You ready? Are we here to make money? No. 
We have a totally different commodity than every other business out there. And there's a little bit of Haggai who's saying, hey, um, it's time to work. And I know that doesn't make sense because we're not here to see how good of a temple you can build. God says, I am with you. That's the most important part of our work. You think about it, if that becomes a standard for you, a measurement for you, a marker for how you think, how you decide, what you do, where you go, what you watch, what you put in your body, how often is God with it? Is God with that thing you're doing? That's a great, great way to, to decide, you know, uh, okay, yeah, I should do it. It's kind of like the idea in the next book, Zechariah, where um, he says, you know, uh, I was a little bit angry with what you did. God's saying this. You know, does what we do make God a little bit angry, right? Because trust me, you wouldn't like him when he's angry, <laughs> right? Sorry, a little Hulk reference there. Because um, I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And work, why? According, verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. What? Okay, all of you, you should be doing this right now. Scratch your head like, what is he talking about? He just asked any of them if they remembered the former temple. Right? That's a timeline question. Who has the history? Were you in the theater when it first came out? You know, that's one of those, right? It's one of my favorite things about Star Wars. Anytime anybody talks about it, especially the youngsters. I got the trump card. Oh, yeah? I saw it in the theater on opening day. You know, whatever. Um, He's asking this question. Do you remember the temple? Guess when the temple showed up? The temple showed up after a whole bunch of time. After some kings, and before that, some prophets and some judges. And before that, there was a whole bunch of other stuff and battles. And then, actually, it wasn't even their land because they had to come across the Jordan. And are we going to do that? And where'd they come before that? That was in the wilderness. And before, how'd they get to the wilderness again? Oh, yeah, they had to cross uh, the sea and Pharaoh chased them. And we've got all the kids' nursery rhyme stuff that we do with them, right? Because they were in Egypt. How many generations ago was that? multiple there's no one left for generations and generations there's nobody left that was there when they came out of Egypt so why would he say to them according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt there's a great great thing that goes on here God is is playing his own trump card he's saying folks I'm God You want to talk about individual rights? I'm the only one that has them. I'm the only individual entity that has been around this whole time. I made a covenant with you as a people. Just because you're here now doesn't mean that you know stuff. It doesn't mean that you get to decide stuff. I had a temple. I'm going to have a temple. I made a covenant. I'm going to have a covenant. You're just part of the puzzle for now. How about you enjoy your piece of the puzzle? Because my existence, my experience in covenant, as God, as God's existence and experience in covenant is always going to be awesome. Remember, he's in control of all things. And why do we work? Because from way back when they were coming out of Egypt to now way up in the rebuilding of the temple and all the generations in between, 
in all of that, why do we work? So that our individual experience is with God. And we get to have a little bit of experience that is maybe like that and maybe like this. And here's the thing. Uh, you didn't get to see any of the old stuff. And you might not get to see some of the new stuff. Moses, nope, not even going to let you see the land. You're going to do this whole thing, and I'm not going to let you step foot in future. You work for something for all this time, and I'm going to make you the definition of inefficient. Why? Because the destination for you is not the thing. The experience with God and his people, that's the value. So work. But work with people. Work with God and then allow God to do what he does. That's when it gets fun and exciting. Best part of uh, working in the church for me, uh, you guys, right? St- studying is homework. Anybody like homework? I, right? It's the people. It, what do I like going to class for? The lectures? No, I want to meet the professor. I want to be around the people. Why am I doing the work? Because I'm going to be really good at the information? No, I'll never be as good as the professors. Then what's, what's, what's the point? It's the developing of me, my pursuit of God. And that's a great process. Great word, Doug. It's a great process for, be, for us to be in. Um, and I love uh, what Ed Noble said, uh, guest speaker here and lead teaching pastor at um, Journey Community Church, San Diego, really, La Mesa. He says, I think God is more concerned with the journey than the destination. Name of their church is Journey Community Church, right? So that's the journey's right. It's all marketing. That's all us pastors do. It's like cute phrases. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. My spirit remains in your midst. You guys stop working for maybe upwards of eighteen years. You've made so many mistakes, and guess where I am? Right here. He's never left. Well, who's the problem? like the old couple driving down the road in their old truck bench seat having a good old time you know they've been married for many many years and they drive by and here's some young couple a little hot rod car or something like that and she's all squished up against him he's got his arm around her one hand on the wheel which we don't you know promote as a church you should have two hands on the wheel at all time anyways um and they're all cuddly cuddly blah 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 right and and the wife in the truck the old couple sitting you know on the bench looks at him and says Hey, how come we don't sit like that anymore? And the husband says, I'm not the one that moved. He's still driving. Never changed. Folks, God's always uh, driving. Where are you sitting? That's kind of the short message of Haggai. God's driving. Are you sitting next to him? Right? You've got your arm around him. You enjoying this or not? Uh, Fear not. Just a great little two- Word command, fear not. Folks, I think that's one of the hardest uh, commandments in the whole Bible, of all things. They say that in marriage, uh, the greatest two things for wrecking a marriage are sex and finances. Not necessarily in that order, depends on the couple. There's other things. You know anything's harder than solving sex and finances? Fear, anxiety. Bible says, 
Do not be anxious for anything. Bam. And that's impossible. Now I know I'm a sinner. Right? We get worried about all kinds of stuff. We fear all kinds of things. We lose hope, and God says, why are you anxious? I was, I'm going to be, and I is now. I'm driving. So do you want to get working, or do you want to have big, long discussions? Do you want to decide based on your logic, which last week we talked about your logic leads away from his priorities. You want to use your logic as to determine when you think we should rebuild the temple, then we're talking and asking the wrong questions. God says now, I'm here. Are you paying attention? Love that. Uh, For thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 6, yet once more, in a little while, yet once more, as this is continuing, this is a pattern for him, right? I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Is that meant to be a comprehensive list? Say yes. I'm going to shake it all. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I think he raised his voice when he said that. I'm just guessing. I wish the Bible had intonation in it. He says, I'm going to shake everything. Do you remember what the temple used to look like? Gold and silver and the most expensive hardwoods and all this kind of stuff. Um, Alabaster, all these crazy words. We don't even know what they mean anywhere, functionally. Um, The value, the riches, all that stuff that got plundered from David and Solomon's reigns and their kingdom. Uh, Guess what? I can resupply all that stuff. I can bring it all back. Because I'm never going to let, I'm never going to let you down. It's a great tune. It'll be stuck in my head when I'm driving down the road, probably later this week. But there's a huge jump from singing it and knowing the words and participating with Bryce to thinking, no matter what I'm doing, God will be with me in how this plays out. Pick your endeavor. God's in it. Are you with him? Right? Because when he says, I'm with you, there's kind of a little question, are you with him? I'm with you. Are you with me? Right? Are you with me? Kind of thing. Right? Watch what he says. I'm going to fill this house with glory, says the, uh, the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. I love that. Declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be what? Greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. You thought it was awesome before. We have better technology now. There's more stuff we can do, right? This is kind of what they're uh, getting at. And in this place, we're going to have the best house ever. No. In this place, we're going to have the best technology. No. In this place, we're going to win wars. No. Declares the Lord of hosts, in this place, I will give, what's that word? Peace. Really weird to me, and I know I'm I'm I border on nerd. I'm working towards it. Want to be when I grow up. I don't want to grow up though, so we got I got I got issues. Um, really weird to me that in a book about turning to God and building walls and a temple and rebuilding stuff and other countries and the conflict that that peace is the end game. What? 
I thought it was glory. Or house for the Lord. Or reestablishing our nation. Or having our capital back. No. He says, I'm going to bring peace in this place. Whoa. So easily we go to uh, efficiency, make money, bring glory, status, power, start a war, pick a fight, make rules. And God says, no, I'm going to restore it. It's going to be so amazing. And then he qualifies it with, because in this place I will give peace. Man, I got to ask myself, do I bring peace when I walk in? Not always. <laughs> am, I, am I in the business of making things better than they were with peace as an agenda? A little side thought there. Uh, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, okay, we're two months out now, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. This is our fourth statement now of Haggai in these two chapters. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. He's going to give the, the priests a test. Okay? Don't worry, they get 100%. They pass. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his fold uh, with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? You got consecrated holy meat and you're, and you're carrying it in your, in your robe and you bump up against something. Is the thing that you bumped, is that all of a sudden now sacred and holy? Right? Anybody want to guess? I know you already read the answer. Uh, and the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, well, if somebody who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? Same thing, only now the guy doesn't have sacred meat in his robe. He w went and bumped into a dead body. Like maybe the dead body of a lion that has bees um, coming out of it like Samson. Right? Great story. Great implications about the law. We'll get to that. Or you could just read the, listen to the series we did on Judges. Um, what happens to anything he touches? And if he's unclean, does it become unclean? Now you should know the answer to this based on how we've pursued the virus the last year and a half, right? Don't touch anything, don't breathe anything, stay away from everybody, why? We, we minimize contact because we don't wanna get the unclean of virus. So, does everything become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Two different approaches. Clean does not make clean, but unclean makes unclean. It's kinda like having teenagers in your house. Uh, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with these people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord, so with every of their hand. What they offer there is unclean. He says, you know, uh, your work's never going to be good enough. But it's not about your work. It's about whether I'm with you. You don't make things clean, period. Now, you can mess things up, that's like what I've, I've, I've always said about coaching soccer. Um, if you have a great team, it's really hard to make them better. But you can mess up that team super easy. Right? Put them in the wrong positions, make them upset. Right? It, really, our job as coaches is to help them do the best they can and, and stay out of the way as much as you can. Um, I, 
I have to believe it's the same thing that Haggai is saying. Hey, do what you need to do, but do as little as you can to mess things up, but do something. And then that gives God an avenue, a place to work, right? Now, verse 15. Consider this day onward. Like, from now on, I want you to consider this. He's like, today's a marker, he's saying. I want you to think about today as a marker, and from this point on, think about this. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, remember I told you they destroyed the temple to where there weren't even two stones on top of each other. They're about two months in, three months in-ish. The foundation is done. They're about to start stacking stones on top and build in the walls of the temple. They're starting to, now construction, we've done the foundation, right? He's saying, this is kind of our marking point. A lot of people think this is the day that they started working, the, the foundation was finished, and from this day forward, they're moving on. Uh, we don't really know that because that wasn't their message and that wasn't what they were trying to communicate. But you could see how they would say that. We're about to put stones on top of stones, and before that day, how did you fare? What's been going on up until this day? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. <gasps> you're getting only 50% return on whatever you're doing, he says. But when one, when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. Ooh, we went from 50% uh, uh, effectiveness. Now we're down to 40%, right? Two of five is 40%. I know, you didn't want to do math today, but here you go. Uh, I struck you. Just want that to sink in. I struck you. Uh, he said it last chapter too. It says I blew it away. I caused. Right? I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Oh. Thank you, I think. <laughs> what? Why? Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Why did he do it? I told you last week, to get your attention. God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. Right? I think he was trying to get a, a bunch of guys' attention uh, out here uh, Friday night. Big accident out in front of the church. Car caught on fire, knocked the fire engine open. Yeah, did it get their attention? I don't know. I wanted you to turn to me. Why does he want them to rebuild the temple? So they'll turn to him. Why does he want them to listen to the priests? So they'll turn to him. Why does he want to have Jerusalem? Why does he want to establish a kingdom? Why does he make a covenant in the first place with Moses way back to get him out of Egypt? In fact, why did he make a covenant with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob even long before that? Why? Because dad wants to know the kids. It's like I told my oldest son. School's out. Get in the car. Come home. What? Why? I'm, I want to do this. I have friends. And I don't care. I'm dad. My car. My money. Come home. Well, why? Because I want to be with you. Duh. Oh, that's it? No, that's it. That's not it. That's it. Like, Why are we even talking about this? Get in the car. Come home. And he did, which is the point of what Jerusalem and, and Judah are supposed to do, the point of what we're supposed to do. Rather than worrying on putting panels on our own houses, what are we doing with our relationship with the Lord? You think about self or you think about God? Consider 
from this day onward. Verse 18, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. That's why we would say this is when it was foundation was finally done. Consider, is the seed in the barn? The vine, the fig, the tree, the pomegranate, and all the olive trees have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. What's he saying? He says, it's been a little over three months, and you've been working. You're finally doing what I asked you to do. You're finally turning to me, and I made you wait over three months. But I want you to mark this day, because from this day forward, no more 50%, no more 40%. You watch. I'm opening the floodgates. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to shake the world, and I'll make all your food grow. Uh, by the way, did it happen? Say yes. Oh, we got a temple. Uh, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of the nations and overthrow, overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and the riders shall go down Everyone, by the sword of his brother, you won't even have to do it. You won't even have to go to war. But I will use the power of mankind against mankind. The ones that think they're efficient, think they're smart, think that they can accomplish or get to make decisions or rules. I'm going to crush them, destroy them, and then watch this. They're going to do it to themselves. And verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel declares the Lord and make you... Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's been two whole chapters of Zerubbabel and Joshua. All of a sudden, it's just Zerubbabel. Ooh, I love this. Here's a little test. Which one was he? Was he the governor or the high priest? I, I rattled him off. I told you, you, you know I practiced it, right, to get him out right. Which one was the governor, and which one was the high priest, and which one is this? I don't hear any pages flipping. Which one was it? Uh, this is the governor. He's the leader. He says, because you're the leader, because this is what you did, because you turned to the Lord, guess what? I'm going to make you like a signet ring. You're going to be a marker, a measurement for others to go by. For I have chosen you. <laughs> was it because Zerubbabel turned? Mm, no. Was it because he started rebuilding the temple? No. Nope. Because he got the foundation right? Nope. What was the reason? Because I chose you. My covenant. Love that. Declares the Lord of hosts. And may the Lord bless the reading of all of Haggai. Amen? Not just uh, this chapter. Uh, let's look at some couple things here and and kind of go with this um first one is this uh use god's markers and measurements we need to start using god's markers and measurements if we're going to rebuild blessing because he says i'm gonna bless you verse three it said who's left among you to have seen the house in its former glory how's it look now does it look like nothing that's a marker or a measurement right verse four yet now be strong Work. God says working is a marker or a measurement for him. What about this? The covenant that I made you. 
That's a marker. It's a measurement. Do you remember what I've called important? Um, there's three times in three verses. But you jump down to verse 8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Man, does our culture need that right now. Humanity has turned money into a God rather than knowing that it's God's money. I control this stuff. Well, you know, if we do this or so-and-so says this, then the market goes up. Careful with that. Do we have an effect? Has he called us to work? Yes. But who's ultimately in control of the money? Because he can take it away like that. And then he could just boom. I'm going to take all the riches. I'm going to shake the whole world and bring all the riches and put them in their house. What? You got to really be careful that we remember that's a marker or a measurement. Uh, and then verse 9, I love what he says. The glory of this house can be better than the former. It's God's way of saying it's going to be awesome. Right? I know Brett Favre stole that phrase from God. Right? Use God's markers and measurements. Uh, and here's the thing, because it's too easy to use our own. We come up with our own markers and measurements. Um, we don't have enough of this type of person doing this type of thing. What? They're too young. They're too this. They're too old. What? We have too many men or too many women. We have too many of this race or too few of that race. Whoa, who came up with that? God didn't come up with that. All the different things that we make rules about, how many of them does God care about? All. He cares about all of them. We start making up all these weird rules. We get ourselves in trouble. Uh, that's number one for today. Uh, use God's markers and measurements. Um, the second one is this. Don't miss the turn. What, he said, I did this, and, did it, did it, why? And, you, and yet you still did not turn to me. right? But verse uh, 4 Love what it says. It says, I'm with you. Don't miss the turn. Why? Because that's where God is. The turn is not to get you on the right road so that the house gets rebuilt or so that you get that silver and gold that's his or so that you beat the other country that he crushes or shakes. No, so that you get to be in charge or important or Zerubbabel. You do it because God's there. That's why you make the turn. Uh, why else do we make the turn? Five through seven. He says, I made a covenant with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I will shake. I will shake. I will fill. Is God in the business of being busy? Is he done yet? Apparently not. Why, why not miss the turn? Because you're going to miss all the action. You're going to miss making it home. Don't miss the turn. Uh, Fourteen. What they offer there is unclean. I have nothing to offer. When I start picking the turns, I'm going down the wrong path. So just because you think something's clean or you think you're clean, you touch something that doesn't make it clean. I'd be careful the turns that you pick. And then, um, last one, verse seventeen. He said, you didn't turn to me. That's why you got 50% on 100. That's why you got 40% on 100. That's why I made things wilt up. He said mildew, I think. What? 
Mold? No, how hard is it to get rid of that stuff? Don't miss the turn. It's a nightmare when you miss the turn. I know. I've missed turns. Anybody think they're about to hear about one of them? Spring break, Mexico trip. Julie and I are coming home. We're in the rental car. Uh, we got uh, Larry and uh, Amory. Actually, I think Larry's sitting next to me. Ladies chose to sit in the back by choice. Don't even go there. Okay. But uh, we're, we're right at the border. And we're, we're close enough to the border that the U.S. networks for your phone aren't quite kicked in. And the Mexican networks have kind of let go. And so none of us can get our directive things on our smartphones to tell us. And there's, this, there's the, the last turn. And Jan is a magician. I don't know how she does it. She makes the right turn. Every, on the way home, follow Jan. But she makes the right turn the whole time. The problem is I found myself out in front in the rental car. Jan and them are behind us in all the vans. And I got Larry with the phone that won't work and my phone won't work. And the two girls, they got a bunch of answers and directions. And we're trying to read signs. You know, they didn't have a sign that Americanos Locos Aki. And then I'd know, like, that's where I should go. Um, but I, I've done this several times now. And spring break, I did it. I was a little bit too far to the right. And it kept me in the lane that I'm not authorized to be in. And so when I get to the front, they kick me out. And now I'm in the middle of Tijuana. And I just want to go home. And uh, so I'm, I'm making turns and the whole thing. We're trying to figure it out. At one point, I was going down the street on the wrong side with traffic coming at us. And I had to like stop the car, jam in reverse, try to flip. Because here comes all this. Julie's screaming. It was, it was rough. Um, and, and it was by the grace of God that we ever made it back to the border. And we came back at the wrong spot of the border and whatever, but we got through, and, right? Uh, don't miss the turn. Uh, here's the weird thing. When you miss the turn, even if it's been 18 years, God give you a shot about getting back on track? Absolutely. He said, I'm still here. I love that. And to go back to the analogy, we ended up back to the hotel in San Diego faster than all the vans. How'd that work? I don't know. But it was great. Uh, so don't, don't miss the turn. Don't miss the turn. Um, and then the turn is toward God. And then lastly, this uh, turning to God assumes the best. We have to become a people that start assuming the best. We are bred to assume the worst, to fear, um, to doubt, to make rules. God says, no. How about you assume the best? What's he say, verse 5? He says, I made a covenant with you way back in Egypt, long before you were here, before your daddy was here, before your granddaddy's granddaddy was here. I made a covenant. Um, we sang this morning, promise keeper, right, promise keeper, right? Used to be this phrase, uh, there's this big organization called Promise Keepers, and the whole thing, that was about us. Uh, I want to submit to you this idea that God's not a promise keeper, as we understand promise keepers. It's a great song, and it's a good way for us to understand it, because we're the type that we keep prom we try to keep promises, because there's a chance when there's a promise, 
we might not keep it. Whoa. So we have to make this phrase of promise keeping to have a goal that we head towards. I want to submit to you that God's not a promise keeper. God's only a promise maker. That's all he does. And then it just happens. The message he's trying to get to us is assume the best because I always keep my promises. You can't call me a promise keeper. Call me a promise maker. In fact, he doesn't use that word really in the Bible. And we've kind of adopted it a little bit as Americans in the translation from Greek and the whole thing. And we've got verses, you know, God is not slow about keeping his promises as some count slowness. And I get the verse, okay, so don't quote it at me later. But the real word that God uses, I'm going to use it on Saturday. I'm going to use it on my kid, and I'm going to, I'm going to beat it into him as much, as much as I can. I do it at every wedding. God says covenant. Covenant is, this is the way it will be. No discussion. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's what God says. That's what he says covenant is. He says, oh, by the way, that's what marriage is. It's covenant. And then God proves through many, 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 many generations, I'm with you. I'm still with you. Remain with me. Turn with me. Because way back with Abraham, I made a covenant. And guess what's going on today? Covenant. And guess what's going on later? Oh, good. You're here. There is no such... Oh, I just used that word on you guys a couple weekends ago, didn't I? Yeah. We, um, we did their wedding out in Byron. It was amazing. Um, but there's this idea we need to assume the best because that's all that God does. He does best. Now, sometimes he does it over three months later. Sometimes he waits 18 years so that you can fiddle around and play in the mud and mess everything up. And then he goes, what are you doing? Don't you remember what the temple used to look like? He gets a little bit of an Irish accent when he does that. What are you doing? Right? Um, because we've got to stop waking up at night nervous about things. Uh, I do it. My wife does it. I don't know. Maybe some of you. This idea that somehow we have to. No. There is no have to for it to go well. Assume the best, turn to the Lord, and watch what he does. Keep working for the exercise that it does to you. But folks, this is the equation for blessing. It's kind of similar to the virus we've just had. Stay at home, stay away from people, wear your mask, sanitize, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. Why? Because it's efficient? No, it's still spread all over the place. Why do you keep doing it? For who you're trying to be, because you're trying to do the right thing the best you can, and when it's all over, we're going out to dinner. Here comes blessing. See people again, right? It's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's too much of an analogy. Um, but we need to assume the best. Amen? Are we assuming the best? What are you assuming? It's a good question. What are you excited about? It might not go that well. What are you afraid of? 
it will go better than you think. It will. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for um, your presence that you remain with us in our midst. We're so reminded of Christ's example of being with us in our midst, remaining with the disciples uh, three and a half years of teaching or so, 33-something years on the planet. That commitment to whatever it takes. May we adopt that same attitude. Lord, may we rebuild our priorities and rebuild the blessing, the pattern, the process, as was said this morning, that draws us into you. Show us the turns. And then give us the assumptions you're making. If you're here this morning and that's you, you need to recommit to some thinking, his thinking. Talk to him. Maybe quote the verse from this morning. God, remain with me. Remain with me. We thank you, Lord, for the offering we're about to receive. Pray you bless it, the church. We pray this just in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, next week, Mark Campbell, right here. Uh, great friend, great pastor, great opportunity for you. Hope you'll catch it. May you assume that his markers and measurements will make your future more blessed than your former. Amen? Go with him.